Hey nerds, welcome to episode 377 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam and wow, uh, today is one of the cooler things I've ever gotten to share uh, in my lifetime with people at all. Uh, Today's episode is an interview I did with Ben Folds. So if you are a fan of music, uh, that name may sound familiar. Uh, Ben Folds is one of the greatest living musicians um of our of our time and really of any of any time he is uh, a savant when it comes to piano playing and he was the frontman for ben folds five before uh going out on his own as you know just ben folds he has toured the world he's played you know solo by himself on a stage with just his piano and he's played uh, with entire orchestras and he's just a phenomenal human being and musician and entertainer um, and he has written a book called a dream about lightning bugs and it's part memoir and it's also very much part uh kind of like a, a guidebook to creativity you know in helping foster creativity for musicians or really just artists of any kind any type of creative and the conversation that we had was surreal um, one because, and and I kind of mentioned this briefly in the intro with him, but uh, Ben Folds and Ben Folds Five was the music that most defined my childhood, my adolescence, and really my entire life. Um, I was very fortunate. I'm the youngest of four. I know I've talked about my siblings a little bit on this podcast, but my uh, older brother is four years my senior. And even when he was in high school and college and should definitely not want his little brother hanging around, uh, we were always best friends and hung out all the time. And we'd always be driving around, going places, and almost always Ben Folds and Ben Folds 5 would be the music that we listened to. Uh, There's another person that I want to give a special shout out to for this episode. Uh, Just to give you guys some background, normally what happens for podcasts with authors is we, uh, Jill and I, for the podcast, get uh, basically pitches sent to us from publishers. They say, this author is available at these times, or they'll be at these locations, or they're doing a live event in Cleveland where you guys are at. Would you host it? And then we kind of go about our way that way. Um, every once in a while, we see books that come out, and we reach out to the publishers and say, hey, we'd really, really love to have this particular person on the podcast, and sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. This one was a little bit different. Uh, I mentioned my my older brother, Jason, being uh, a huge influence on really everything that I enjoy, but Ben Folds especially. Well, his best friend and basically my kind of brother from another mother, Chris, uh has someone that I've always known my entire life, and he was the other person who was responsible for Ben Folds being in our lives. Um, his little brother and I were best friends growing up, uh, Kurt, and so the four of us were always listening to Ben Folds together. Uh, Jason and Chris actually took, coached us in basketball and did all sorts of stuff. The reason I'm saying this is because the way this episode was set up is that Chris was in Scotland on a trip with his wife, and they did a meet and greet where they got to meet Ben Folds um, and do like a real quick picture and all and you know just kind of the the standard meet and greet stuff that you would you would do and Chris met uh, Ben's manager and talked about our podcast briefly and kind of let him know what it was and what it was all about and then let me know that he had done that and sent the manager an email really doing as many <laughs> so much of the legwork for us uh, and then when I found out who his publisher was I happened to have contacts there emailed those contacts, they connected the full circle, and all of a sudden, 
uh, I was able to set up a, a half hour where I got to talk with Ben Foltz, uh, which is just crazy. So a lot of this conversation, we talk about the book and creativity and, and the importance of supporting the arts and just all sorts of great stuff. And then at the end, in just several surreal moments, I got to tell Ben about some of my favorite uh, songs of his and a video that he did with uh, the Fraggles. If you're a longtime listener, you know my adoration for Jim Henson has no ends. So the fact that Ben Folds 5 did a video with the Fraggles, we got to, had to make sure we talked about that. Um, at his core, you know, people think of Ben Folds as a musician, and that's absolutely true. He's a genius when it comes to that. But if you are a fan of his music, you'll maybe do what I do is think of him as a storyteller. He has all these stories, uh, all these songs about specific characters. Some of them are real. Some of them are made up. Some of them are uh, over-exaggerated versions of real people. And hearing him kind of explain that and some ideas that he has for these stories, it was really great. And looking at it more so, really thinking about the way that he's always done his songs, it makes a lot of sense that he would be able to write such a phenomenal book. So uh, we talk about the difference between the book and writing the book and writing music and just all sorts of stuff. I'm aware that I'm gushing at this point, but it was surreal. So again, special shout out to my buddy, Chris. Thank you so much, man. And uh, an additional thank you to both Chris and my brother, Jason, for making sure that I was always pretty cool when it came to the music that I liked, uh, because Ben Folds is uh, is just about the coolest person. Um, he has a song where he says, there's always someone cooler than you. I think that's true for everyone in the world, perhaps except for Ben Folds, who might just be the coolest human alive. So uh, if you want to get a hold of us, if you have feedback for this or any other episode, you can always go to professionalbooknerds.com. There you'll find our Twitter and Instagram, which is at ProBookNerds. You'll also find our email address, which is professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. And um, yeah, that's about everything. If you want to leave us an iTunes rating, go ahead and hit that five-star button and leave us a quick review. We always respect that or appreciate it. So All right, I'm done gabbing. I'm not going to waste any more of your time. I'm going to let you get to my conversation with the one and only Ben Folds on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi, everybody. Uh, It's Adam, and today I cannot be more excited to tell you that the guest that will be joining me in just one moment is Ben Folds, who is a man that, without hyperbole, uh, created the music that most defined the soundtrack of my youth and my early adulthood. Uh, His music has been played at our family weddings, our holidays. Uh, His song, Gracie, Gracie is partially responsible for my niece's name, uh, and I've been fortunate enough to see him play at rock and roll venues, college gymnasiums, and even Severance, which is Cleveland's famed concert hall. Uh, He's written a book titled A Dream About Lightning Bugs that you have to go check out. Uh, But first off, Ben, thank you for taking some time with me today. I appreciate it. Oh, good to be here. Thank you. So I will let you kind of kick us off by telling people a little bit about your book, and then we'll sort of dive in. So what would you say would be a nice introduction to A Dream About Lightning Bugs? Well, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's hung on the undeniable framework of um, memoir, autobiography. But I had, um, you know, I, I had evil, other evil motivations. <laughs> I wanted to talk about creativity in a way that I would, I would know that I was right because I'm talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I think 
the book illustrates, you know, blow by blow from my grandparents' lives up through my childhood, how one kid learned music and how I, how, how, how that was navigated and sort of the environment and, um, and, and I thought that's the best way to talk about creativity rather than to make it theoretical and rather than actually ever punctuate that or highlight that point that, you know, I would be leading the witness in a way to say that's what it's about. You may read it and say, well, it's your life story. That's all it was. <laughs> but it was curated and narrated in a way that I felt should lead you there. Um, I'm really interested about that because you're absolutely right. You know, it, it is definitely kind of the wireframe of a memoir, but there's so much more about, you know, the creativity and, and structure and, and tips and tricks that you've learned along the way. You know, anyone who's followed your career closely will know that you've lived a big life and this whole book could have been all about, you know, your trials and tribulations and, and what you've learned along the way just as an artist. But what made you want to structure it around providing those, you know, helpful ideas for other creatives in the world? I think this has probably come from the time I've spent over the last dec decade um, advocating for uh, the arts, arts policy, arts funding, arts education, and uh, the orchestra, um, music therapy. Um, I think now, in retrospect, I can see that had an uh, had an impact because what I see when I go to, you know, make make a case it could be for senators and congressmen or whoever uh, um, for the arts is that um, it feels like we've in my lifetime it feels like the value of creativity itself the perceived value has gone down and i suppose that that might be because um we're so expert oriented so everyone's an expert and so if you're a creative then you make your little arts and crafts or you sing your little songs or you make your little pictures <laughs> and everyone else is not creative um and that seems a damn shame to look at it that way um and so you know if i'd written another book instead of that it might be an argument for creativity where i could just lucidly say uh that i you know i highly suspect and i've talked to anthropologists who seem to know more about this than me that people established human humans human beings are at the top of the food chain because of ideas not in the middle of the food chain because we have ideas and ideas come from creativity and creativity is best fostered uh in the arts and i think that everyone is creative but i think that um unless it's fostered it can sort of part of you can sort of die and um so i mean this this book is about a lot of the trials and tribulations, but I, I don't want them to be viewed as trials and tribulations. I want them to be viewed as things that helped me be creative, that, 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 that the creativity and the things that happened were assets, not liabilities, because it's easy for an artist to go, 
you know, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. These things happened to me. It was really tough, and I'm a genius, and I made it out. You can you can feel my pain if you listen to the song. But if you look at it a different way, it's like, no, this these things really could have had a great effect on on the things that have gotten me, you know, where I am, which is the position of making music for a living. Also, I want to establish the value of making music not for a living, which is why I kind of end with a paragraph about um, Charles Ives mm-hmm. being an insurance guy, because he's one of our greatest composers. <laughs> he he was an insurance man. That's what he did. So that's a long answer to your question, but that's that's where I think it came from, and the reason that I wanted that to be infused, you know. Uh, but I, I know that I was subtle about it sometimes, you know. Um, so it could be leading the witness, like I say, to, to here's what I say the, the book is about. Now, if you read it, it's just a story. That's fine, too. Well, well, I think, you know, speaking of kind of what, you know, leading the witness or like what other people would think the book is about, like one of my biggest takeaways from it, especially at the beginning of the book, you know, you open the whole book about really your actual dreams when you were a really, really young child, which is a dream about catching lightning bugs and, and showing them to other people and how you could see them first and, and no one else could really see them. Like from a creative standpoint, obviously, you know, there are some people who are born more adept to playing a piano, for instance, or writing mm-hmm. a book or anything. But something that you really focus in on at the beginning, something that I think anybody can make sure that they're doing to help them in their creativity is being willing to pay more attention to their surroundings. And to me, mm-hmm. I think that's something you, know, you, you referenced at the beginning of the book that, that you do so well is, is hearing melodies or, or seeing stories and in, in things that other people might might notice. And like, is that kind of something that you were trying to share with people is just the fact that, you know, phase one of being able to have a life in creativity or just have a further creativity yeah. that they might want is just being attentive. Attentive to the thing that glows to you. So you're not going to observe everything in a room. And it's an interesting, I definitely think it's an interesting exercise to observe that which you're not accustomed to noticing, which I mentioned about the sounds on top of the sounds on top of the sounds. Mm -hmm. As soon as one's out of the way, there's always something else. As soon as one light goes off, there's light somewhere else. There's always something else beneath it. You know, if everyone's shut up in an audience, you know, of, of speaking people, you hear one person, yelling about going to the bathroom, but you can't hear that person unless you really listen. And, and I, I think for some people, they just hear that one person like, for whatever reason. Like, all I can hear is that one motherfucker talking about the bathroom. <laughs> um, and, you know, if, if that's um, what you're noticing, there must be something to it. People always think, you know, well, I started really, you know, I took it as a sign from the universe. I started noticing, you know, the color red all the time. Why am I noticing the color red? Well, it's not, I mean, my version of it would be because the universe told you. <laughs> the, the, my, my version would be if you were interested in red and you noticed it. You know, so if, if, if you know, like, if I write a, an album that's got a, a lot of stories about the same thing, it doesn't necessarily mean just that I'm going through it. It means that I just seem to notice it everywhere. It's not everywhere. It's not everywhere, but that is, it's not new that it's everywhere it's just that i've taken a sudden empathetic interest in in a thing so if it's lightning bugs awesome i see i see fireflies 
The other kids didn't notice them. They were too busy looking at other things. Maybe one of them was looking at stars. That might even be deeper. Or the other one was looking at clouds rolling in or blades of grass or noticing the pears off in the distance. Something. They're noticing something. That's what they should capture. You capture the thing that, that glows to you. And one of the reason I like lightning bugs as a metaphor, when I decided upon it for the for that chapter and ultimately for the book, was the realization that the fireflies disappear into the light of day. Mm-hmm. And I really love that because the light of day to me is the, you know, that's the intellect casting light on the idea. Boy, it's hard to see those bugs now. So hard to see it now that you've put your, you know, your intellect. But when you're making art, you have to apply your intellect. Mm-hmm. And when you apply that intellect, it's so hard to stay focused on the inspiration, which was just a burst. It was like a lightning bug, so poof, and it's gone. So I, that really feels like art to me, and, and I think that's why that dream stuck with me. Whether I meant that or not as a kid is up for grabs, but it stuck with me, and the fact that it stuck with me is because it does ring true as a metaphor. So I'm curious, you mentioned about in kind of focusing on a specific thing to you know make an album or, or a song, and sort of along those lines, when you were writing this book, you know, did did writing this either structurally or emotionally, like, did it feel similar at all to you to creating music? Yeah, it did. I'm not sure it would to a lot of people who would try both <laughs> things. Um, and that would be partially because maybe their intention of making a song might be slightly different than mine in the process of my songwriting might be a little more like writing a book somehow. But um, yeah, I mean... I was surprised at the similarities. I really was. I was surprised to find that I had to be economical. <laughs> I mean, that was the initially the attraction was I had all the space I needed. I mm-hmm. could just keep going. Well, I mean, to me, I feel like for when when I'm and this is absolutely projecting onto you, so apologies in advance. But when I think of the songs of yours, you know, that really stand out to me, a lot of them have these human beings that are that are in there that are you're sort of telling their story whether it's you know fred jones or eddie walker mm-hmm. emmeline all these different songs i mean to me I, I feel like you know that for it might lend itself to writing a book as you said you, you know now you've got kind of all the space in the world i'm sure it's sometimes writing this book it probably felt like too much space but i feel like there can be you know this time instead of you know telling the story of alice Childress, you're telling the, the story of ben folds mm-hmm yeah, and, um, you know, the thing about the economy of it is that, that you still can't have any fat. It's the weirdest thing. In order to get the point across about me in a certain time period, I kept the, I ultimately kept the chapters short. Mm-hmm. Um, that way they would just sort of toss toss the ball, kick, kick the ball along, kick the can to the next chapter easily, and I wouldn't have to be too skilled at, like, kind of continuing to spin plates. I could kind of make my point move on before I lifted more weight than I knew how to do. Because I had some sprawling chapters, and I realized, you know, I'm a songwriter. I'm used to hanging on to this for three and a half or four minutes. That's almost all I can do. Well, you, I- read those, those, you read those chapters aloud, they're about as long as the song. It's interesting. Well, and, and, and it does, to me, when I was reading it, I honestly did kind of think of it almost like an old school record where it almost felt like there was like an A side and a B side. Like the A side is you giving all of these creative life tips and, and tips about, 
kind of layering music and all the things that you learned along the way from your parents, your grandparents, and all of your, you know, your teachers growing up. And then kind of the, the second half is more that kind of introspective, like, look at your own career. Like, it does kind of feel, for people who are familiar with the way the albums kind of sort of used to be laid out, it feels similar. That's great. I love that. That's when I think of, you know, it's kind of burned into my brain. Um, but, you know, the, when it comes to form and cadence and, you know, tension and release and resolution and pacing and all these things, um, they're really fairly similar art form to art form. They, 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 they in some way usually are telling a story, even if it's a description. The description is implying a story. That's the way I see it anyway. I have a hard time seeing songs as anything but stories. Mm-hmm. Even if even if it's not. I mean, one thing that I would probably enjoy writing, I don't know if anyone would care to read it, but it would be writing short stories to many of my songs. Like that way it'd be like, here is here's the scenario which I imagine the song was born. Um, would be an interesting exercise for me. I'd say maybe not such a good idea because people put their own you know, things to songs, and you don't want to you don't want to blow that up. But I do I do feel that's possible. I think at this point, if you pick and chose songs, like maybe if you pick stuff from like earlier in your discography, because you saying that obviously we're on the phone, so you can't see me, but my mouth kind of opened excitedly. I can tell you for a no. fact, you'd have at least one person who would read the hell out of that. Uh, well, you know, we would hope it was good, <laughs> but but then you know, like I see, I do see these characters, you know, and um, and they. They, you know, I have to know much more about them than I put in the song. If you knew someone you were writing a song, um, you can't put it all in, you know? Mm-hmm. And if I'm creating characters, which often I am for my songs, um, then I know a lot more about them, you know? But what I want to do in a song is for the song to be just ambiguous enough that you can fill in just a little bit yourself. Or that it might imply things, I mean, it should be, you know... Images should be things that you can unzip. You can unzip just a simple, it's like a picture's worth a thousand words. Mm-hmm. It's really like a zip file. It's like you look at the picture or you look at an image or a metaphor and it should unlock a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Stories and stories and stories. And so when you're writing a song, you try to use this as much as you can, you know? And, um, so what are those thousands of words? It would be interesting to know. Uh, okay, so along those lines, you know, you have all of these songs that convey, you know, like you said, they, they tell these stories and they convey these, you know, huge things, whether it's, you know, Evaporated or Brick, which everyone's, you know, talked about nonstop, and Narcolepsy or The Luckiest, which is probably just, I'm sure you will never end hearing people tell you that it's their wedding song. But there's yeah, I love it. <laughs> all of these powerful emotions and all these stories told. So from when you're writing these types of work, like, do you find you, you need to put yourself in a certain headspace that matches the song's tones? Are you writing for escapism, catharsis, or is it just something that you're, at this point in your career, you're able to do? I don't know. I, I, I pride myself on kind of being able to be aware and, and, and analyze the thing after the fact. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think when I'm writing, it's not an intellectual um, um, exercise. But after the fact, I can usually say, but I'm not sure I could I could actually even know. I mean, I, I do think I, it is, I, I think, now having written a book, I think it probably is a little bit the way 
people write short stories. I think the way I write books or write songs is a little bit of that. It's imagination, and you can feel a character, and then you can feel the things, the thumbprint of that character. Well, I, I don't see there's. I don't even have description of this person. I don't, I don't have. They have blonde hair. They have, who are they? Are they tall, short? Are they old? Who is this person? <laughs> you know, you don't know, but you can feel their thumbprint. Um, something about their DNA in it, and you know, Nick Hornby was telling me about how amazing it was to him that Charles Dickens created however many thousands of characters <laughs> in, in his career, and um, you know, the creation of characters is where Stephen King starts. He creates a character, and he doesn't know the person yet. He, he knows something about them, and he puts them in a situation which, as I said in the book, you know, and I'm quoting his book, but. Um, he puts them in a situation that he doesn't know how the fuck they're going to get out of it. <laughs> and then he, then they, they they lead the way then. How's this character going to get out of this? How's this character going to get out of that? And that begins to tell you a lot about who that person is. So he's meeting and learning the person through their actions of solving problems. It's very interesting. So... Thinking of that and taking it a little bit further and, and looking at your own, you know, songs sort of as stories, are there any uh, of those stories that you kind of look back at even now and you're like, damn, I'm really, really proud of, you know, that one specifically? You know, like you talk about Emmeline in the book being one of the first book, the songs you've really ever like finished and you're really proud of. But is there, are there any like of the kind of older stuff that you look back at even today and you're like, man, I'm really still quite pleased with that? Um... Yeah, I mean, I think most of it, it all doesn't aspire to the sort of condition of these short stories that you and I are concentrating on. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned Fred Jones. I was always very happy with that character. Mm -hmm. I was happy with the character because of the last verse, which might be obscure and <laughs> what it is and where it's coming from to most people. But the idea of a man having nothing to do with his life anymore because he's retired... And he's casting a um, image on the wall. Mm -hmm. I see a deer. Like he's he's painting a wildlife, mm -hmm. and he's painting while the, the you know that 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 method where you cast a cast the image on a on a on a um uh, what was what is it? God, I've lost my mind. The canvas. Canvas. Yeah, I, <laughs> that, I didn't want to recite your own lyrics to you. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, well, that happens to me all the time. Uh, casting on canvas and then painting it, but then turning the light off and something's not there. Something's wrong. And I thought about this guy having lived his whole life, going through the motions that he thought they would be on. Now they've turned his light off, and now he's sitting there alone, and he doesn't know who he is. So I, I, I like that. That's why I was proud of that song. And oddly enough, I think it's a verse that people ask about. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> um. So I don't even have too much time left, but there's I, I can't not ask you about this. One of my other uh, giant nerdy passions is all things Jim Henson. So I just have to ask, yeah. how was it creating a music video with the Fraggles? Because that is still like my favorite oh. music video ever. Uh, thank you. That was wonderful because, you know, the thing about the talent of that group of people and that, um, that you know, uh, tradition that they created... I felt like as soon as the people were like laying on the floor, sticking their hands in the puppets, <laughs> as soon as they started talking, the puppet was real to me. Mm -hmm. That's what was amazing to me. Because I always watch a show and wondered, 
how are you not distracted by the person below doing all the stuff? <laughs> I'll tell you how. They do this thing where they come online as people. They stick their hands in it. They do this little thing where all of a sudden they wait to, wait to puppet up. Mm-hmm. And you really think you really think the, the puppet is suddenly real. I swear, man, I never thought that I was with people who were... I forget that some lady's laying down next to me. It's like, oh, that's red. <laughs> that's all. That was, I thought it was amazing. I love doing that. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, okay, uh, like one or two more questions for you. One, I mentioned, you know, I've seen you, I've been fortunate enough to see you play here in Cleveland about a million times, and it's some of my favorite memories. But what is, like, one of the favorite memories that you have uh, seeing a concert as, as, as a fan? Like, what would be the, the one person you remember that sticks out most to you watching? Neil Sedaka. When I was a kid, I got to see Neil Sedaka uh, live in an afternoon show in an amphitheater at uh, a park and um, loved it. He told stories about how he uh, wanted to, um, you know, he wrote songs when he was 13 and he first got published when he was 13. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> I loved that show. Um, okay, I know you're, you're short on time, so this last question for you, you know, we kind of, you know, talked about, I'm, I'm guessing I know what you might answer this and but what do you people what do you hope people take away from reading your book well i mean look i hope i hope at the very least they're entertained i hope that it was written in a manner that doesn't have them reaching for the damn thesaurus or wondering what i'm talking about that would be you know a somewhat satisfying um and uh so besides the entertainment that i i I hope some things light up you know, like we all share experiences, um, hoping that, you know, someone might do it differently or do it the same, you know, that they can actually learn something from someone's experience. I hope that it's unfiltered enough and un, uh, uncorrupt enough to make that true. So that's, that's what I would, but it's, it's very base, you know, yeah. function. just hopefully it's entertaining. I like telling the story and I'm, I'm quite happy people think it's funny. Well, I think people are absolutely going to love it if they haven't checked it out yet. And uh, at the risk of being extremely cheesy, Ben, I hope you keep rocking this bitch for a long, long time Mm -hmm. from now. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was great. Thanks, man. Great to talk to you. Thank you very much. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.